You know, we live in a culture today, uh, I would probably say it's probably safe to say it, marketing 101 is basically this, reassure the consumer uh, that you can trust them. And so whatever product you're offering, whatever you're uh, saying that this will make your life a little bit better, uh, then what you're seeking to do as a result is to instill a sense of trust or some degree of trust that you can, that your life will be better and you can rest easy. Um, but what's interesting about this whole approach or strategy oftentimes with marketers, with products that are offered to you is that they make huge promises, they boast big claims, and they reassure you that you are in good hands. You know, for example, you can invest in this bank and put your money in this bank because it is FDIC insured. So, it's backed by this Federal Reserve. You have nothing to worry about. Our truck is the toughest truck on the market. You're going to want this truck. I mean, who, does it, who wants a wimpy truck, right? Who wants kind of the, the truck that isn't so tough, the one that's going to break down? So you want the tough truck, right? And so everybody's like, oh, you have the one that lasts forever? That, that's the truck that I want. Or, for example, some people say this. We have the most energy-saving appliance out there. And you're like, oh, why is that good for me? Well, for one, it makes my utility bills go down. And who doesn't want to pay a little bit less each month on the utility bills, right? Not to mention you get peace of mind because you are saving the planet as a result. Can you believe it? By you buying this appliance, you are saving the planet. That's pretty amazing. You have a lot of power in your hands. Phrases like built to last or gorilla tough or longest lasting, most trusted battery. (laughs) When I was in the pipeline working, uh, we would be out in the middle of nowhere oftentimes, but every once in a while there'd be the place on the highway for the next 150 miles. And it, uh, we remember walking into this one uh, kind of roadhouse and, you know, and let's just say the FDA does not go there to make sure the quality is above reproach. And um, you walk in there and you're like looking at the, the digs that you're walking in and you're like, I hope I don't get sick. And uh, I remember distinctly one time walking in and I said, we asked well, how is your burgers? And this guy comes out around the corner, and I won't make fun of his, the way he said it, but he just said he has the best burgers on the highway. I'm like, that's a big claim, especially when he's the only burger on the highway. <laughs> so, so on one hand, you say, you have the best burger on the highway, but you have the only burger, right? Now, I, please understand me. I, I, we all can read between the lines, right? We can all understand. We all know that things have an expiration date to them. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing is 100% dependable. All you have to do is go to the PA dump and see your energy appliance sitting there in the pile. Not to boast in anything, but I do feel fortunate or blessed, my wife and I do, because when we bought our house, it came with a chest freezer from like 1953, and it's still running. And you know what? I tested the current on it, and it has the same current draw as our new refrigerator. So, anyways, I'm just food for thought to think about. Understand that I, I'm not knocking any one brand. I'm not narc- knocking guarantees. I'm not knocking warranties or anything like that. We all know that 
everything eventually fails. But the obvious point I'm trying to make is that everything, uh, nothing is absolute. There is nothing in life that is 100% absolute. Even though people make big claims, boast of big promises, seek to guarantee a, a strong degree of trust in whatever product they're offering you, in the end, it will eventually fall apart. That's just life. That's life on this side of eternity. That's life in a fallen world. And on one hand, we can accept those things. We know that things are going. In fact, you might get tired of it and you want it to break down so that you can have the excuse to go and purchase a newer, better one. But let me ask you this. What about when we consider aspects of life that are a little bit more personable in nature? I mean, yeah, you can say an appliance may break down or a vehicle may get old and wear out. But what about when it comes to your marriage? What about when it comes to some relationships? What about when it comes to your place of employment that you depend desperately on to be consistent? You see, all of a sudden, it really matters. Some things, it's okay if they fall apart and break down. But there are some things in life that we do not want to fall apart. There are some things in life that we desperately depend on withstanding the test of time to be 100% reliable. The fact is, when something or someone holds us up inside, we get this kind of, we love the fact that it comes through. It gives us kind of a, a sense of satisfaction and joy in this life. By the way, you can follow along in your notes if you haven't done so already. When something or someone is coming through for us, we, we experience a sense of peace, satisfaction, a sense of optimism in life, especially about our future. But when that something or when that someone fails to come through for us, we experience a sense of anxiety. We can experience a sense of dissatisfaction. We can easily experience a sense of disappointment, even sense to some degree, despair. It's oftentimes why people become skeptical in life. It's why people can become very pessimistic in life. We're very leery about one another. I remember when I first moved to, to L.A. County, and, I, you know, and I, coming from a small town, Alaska, everybody just knows everybody. Everybody is very friendly and neighborly, right, as we might understand that. And then you go down to L.A. and you're going, hey, I lived in this apartment complex for two, two you know, at this point in time, two weeks, and I've seen some of these neighbors, and I just go knock, and I go, hey, how's it going? And it, the first question out of their mouth is, what do you want? Not, hey, I've seen you over the past two weeks too. Welcome to whatever apartment complex. No, it's, what do you want? What are you selling? Basically, everyone is leery of one another. And after you live there for a while, rightly so. (laughs) But the fact is, we become leery, we become skeptical, we become very guarded because we do know and actually expect for people to fail us. We expect to be taken advantage of. We expect that people will not come through for us. And so it seems to be 
it seems to make a, that we can make a safe conclusion that the secret to life, the secret to consistent joy, the secret to consistent peace in this life is to find something or to find someone who will come through for you and for me 100% of the time. In other words, you and I cannot rest easy. You and I cannot have that absolute peace of mind until we know that we've acquired someone or something that can be there for us and come through for us every single time. Not just most of the time, but all the time, forever. And the natural solution as followers of Jesus is this. We understand that there is only one who is reliable in this way. We understand that there is only one who is dependable like this. There is only one who is 100% faithful at all times. And his name is God. I love that passage in Lamentations, especially his conclusion after he goes on and basically just kind of transparently divulges all the heartache and difficulties he's experiencing in this life. But he goes on to conclude, even though in the midst of it, it's not because all of a sudden he's no, Jeremiah is no longer uh, feeling distress in life, but he goes on to conclude this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Not God is most of the time there. It never ceases. God's love is always 100% steadfast, immovable, unshakable. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You know, you and I, oftentimes in our conversations, in our, in our rhetoric with one another, we can easily use extreme language, right? We use hyperbolic language, always, never, and most of the time it's an embellishment. Most of the time it's actually not very true, right? Especially when we're cr- being critical of each other. You always do this, right? Do I always do that? No, probably not. But it really emphasizes the point. But when it comes to God... It's always applicable. It's always appropriate. When it comes to God, hyperbolic language is the only right kind of language to use because his love is always steadfast. His love will never fail. He will always come through for you 100% of the time. The point we are seeking to make here is this. If you place your hope in anything else like a job or a spouse or your kids or your bank account or your looks or your fitness or whatever you do, you're really only one blink away from it all changing. Maybe not right away, but eventually, all these things, especially the people in your life, will, at least at some point, eventually fail you. There's only one thing, there's only one person that is 100% faithful, and that is God. But what do we mean when we make reference to the the faithfulness of God? What do we mean when we talk about God's faithfulness? As we've been seeking to do it as a part of this study, we want to carefully or clearly define our terms. 
Once again, even as we talked about last week, we talk about the love of God. Love has this kind of connotation. It resonates and on people's ears very differently depending on who you talk to. So it's very important that we clarify or define what we mean when we say God is faithful. What, is, what does it mean to be faithful? Very succinctly, faithfulness means to be steadfast in affection or allegiance. To be faithful means to be loyal. Sometimes we can understand faithfulness in regards to the various synonyms that, uh, that describe it more fully. For example, to be faithful means to be dependable. To be faithful means to be trustworthy. To be faithful means to be constant, reliable, true to one's word. To be faithful means to keep one's promise. To be true to and consistent with one's character. Wayne Grudem defines faith, God's faithfulness in this way when he says, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. In other words, God can be relied upon and always proves to be faithful. But you think about that. God is, will always do what he has said. He never lies. He's always telling the truth. He will always come through in what he has promised you. In fact, he goes on to say, the essence of true faith is taking God at his word and relying on him to do what he has promised. It is as Martin Lloyd-Jones states, faith is holding on to the faithfulness of God and as long as you do that, you cannot go wrong. This, this, this relationship with Jesus Christ, this discipleship that we've been invited and, and saved into, this life of being a Christian by faith is basically this. God, I trust you. I may not be able to trust everybody 100%, but God, I trust you to be 100% absolutely faithful in all things, in all acts, in all your promises. Because you are God. Now why in the world can we make that conclusion about God? Why in the world can you and I say God is faithful in this way or he's faithful like this? Well, we see in Scripture that it reveals or it it, it characterizes, it describes God in various ways. In other words, God reveals himself through Scripture by showing us what he is like. And there are a number, though we've been going through a number of attributes as a result of this study, we see there are multiple characteristics about God that make him faithful in this way. For example, we understand that God is all-knowing. Think about that. God is all-knowing. Romans 11.33 and following says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is all-knowing. That's actually very reassuring to me. Because even though 
we might be somewhat ignorant with one another, even though sometimes we might feel all alone, God knows all things. In fact, even when you feel like you can't articulate how you feel and maybe the, the, the devastation that you feel right now, the distress that you feel right now, brothers and sisters, understand this, God knows. In fact, he probably knows it better than you know it yourself. And he cares. God is faithful because God is all-knowing. He is never caught off guard. We also see that God is faithful because he is all-powerful. In other words, he never encounters anything or anyone who can thwart his plans or his purposes. Very, very succinctly, we can make this conclusion. Basically, this is the kind of guy you want to have on your team. Someone who can do anything all the time, 100% of the time. Or maybe it's better yet to say, it's the kind of guy whose team you want to be on. Someone who can always come through. You know, it's like when you stand in the elementary school line and stuff like that, and everybody's like picking kind of whatever and stuff, and you go, you already know that the first person's always picked is the one who has the greatest possibility of winning. So you go, yep, you're on my team. I got first pick. Right, we do the draft all the time and many guys get all wild and crazy about it and the first draft pick is like the coveted pick because you want the best. First come, first serve, right? Well, guess what, God? He can do anything. He's all powerful. There is nothing beyond his grasp. We also see that God is faithful because God is holy. God is faithful because God is holy. We discussed this a few weeks back, but let me just say it this way. God is holy, meaning he is pure, he is honest, he is full of integrity, he is unable to lie, and therefore is always consistent with his character and his word. Wow, has anybody ever lied in here? Show of hands. Well, now everyone can raise their hand because some of you didn't raise your hand and you just lied. So now we're all in good company right now. All of us, even if we've bended it ever so slightly, have not been as forthcoming as we ought to be. All of us have embellished the truth or manipulated the truth or even basically outright totally avoided the truth altogether to make yourself look better, to make someone else look better or whatever it is for your own self-serving gain. But listen to this, God is holy, therefore he is full of integrity, he cannot lie. When you think about, is God limited? Well, on one hand, he is limited in the fact that he cannot sin. You and I can sin, but God cannot sin or he ceases to be God. So on one hand, yes, he can do anything and nothing is beyond his grasp. On the other hand, God cannot sin or he ceases to be God because he is living a life contrary to his own character. God is holy, therefore he is faithful. God is faithful and therefore he is also, because he is also eternal. He is not affected by time or space. He knows the end from the beginning. I love what David says in Psalm 90. He says, before the mountains were uh, brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God has been in existence from eternity past. He will be in existence to eternity future. You and I had a start date, but God has never had a start date because he's always been. 
He is fully self-contained within his own Godhead. God is faithful because he is omnipresent. What it means to be omnipresent is that you are everywhere at all times. Not just in part, not just a certain percentage, but God is fully present at all times, at all places. Brothers and sisters, this is also very reassuring to me because sometimes, in fact, right now, some of you feel absolutely 100% alone. Some of you feel like you have nobody. Some of you are thinking to yourself, and even woke up probably this morning saying, I don't think really I have any friends. I have nobody that cares. I'm alone. I'm around a lot of people, but I still feel alone. I love what you said, Rhonda, earlier. Wherever we go, even as missionaries, we're not bringing God. He's already there. We're helping people recognize that God is already in their midst. That's what it means to be on mission. The fact is, God is everywhere at all times because he's God. We see also that God is faithful because God is immutable. That's a very fancy theological term that basically means this, that God cannot change. He never changes. He's never different then than he is now. He is never in a bad mood. He's never in a, he never has a bad day. I mean, I love what Malachi 3.6 says. He says, I, this is God speaking, I am the Lord, and very much to the point, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Or we see in Hebrews chapter 13 when it says of Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The fact is, God does not change. He always has been. He always will be. He is God. It's interesting to me that when you think about uh, or when you have conversations with some people, some people have this idea or perspective that um, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Or or they're more attracted to the God of the New Testament, but they, they kind of have this kind of hesitation with the God of the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament seems like he's all about wars and New Testament's all about love. When in fact, as we've seen as a result of this study, he's both. He's both holy and just and loving and good. In other words, You can't just be a red-letter Christian, as some people state. We're just about the words of Jesus. Uh, As if Jesus was not of his Father. The fact is, if you want Jesus, you have to have all of God. Jesus and God the Father cannot be separated. You either have it all or you have nothing. What we've seen up to this point already is that there are so many different aspects or reasons as to why we can trust or believe that God is faithful. And I think even what's even more profound is that in the midst of all of God's attributes, we see that God is perfectly consistent in his manifestation of all these attributes. Tozer says it this way. He says, all of God's acts are consistent with all of his attributes. No attribute contradicts any other. 
but they all harmonize and blend into each other into the infinite abyss of the Godhead. He is at once, he is at once faithful and immutable, so all his words and acts must be and must remain faithful. The point that Tozer is kind of making here is this, that God is 100% faithful to his word. He's 100% faithful to his promises. He's 100% faithful to you and to me. And therefore, he cannot let you down. I mean, you think about it in these terms. The same God who spoke the galaxies into existence is also the same God who says to you and to me, I want to be your friend. Think about that. The God of the universe who spoke everything into existence wants to know you personally. Or think about it like this. The same God who will judge both the living and the dead is also the God who desires to lavish you with his love. Isn't that amazing? So there's no contradiction to the attributes of God. We just understand, even though it's hard to grasp at times, that God is an infinite God. And sometimes we're only scratching the surface. And I believe we see in Scripture not only characteristics or descriptions given, but we see that God has explicitly revealed himself in various ways through the lens of Scripture. For example, we see that God has revealed his faithfulness through his creation. It's amazing how creation continually exalts God in various forms and capacities. We see that in creation, God's faithfulness is on display. Psalm 119.90, your faithfulness extends to every generation. It's as enduring as the earth you created. In fact, think about this, IBC family. When you look at creation or you make some very brief observations about creation, you realize that in creation, there is a sort of uh, instilled consistency with God's design. Have you noticed that? There's always this consistency as a part of God's design. In other words, we see all there's, there, everything is kind of marked by seasons that are very regular. They're very constant. They are predictable. They, we, in fact, we expect them to be that way. So we have a 24-hour day, and it usually does not change, right? And we have a 365-day year, at least on the, the Western calendar, and, and that does not change. And we have four seasons throughout the year, and that does not change because the, the, the earth is moving at the same speed at all times. All of God's creation is built in, has this built-in consistency to it, and therefore points to the consistency and faithfulness of God. Sometimes it's helpful to understand it kind of in an opposite illustration. What if, for example, we saw that God's creation decided not to be consistent? What if, for example, that God's creation decided to say, you know what, I'm taking a break. I'm not going to spin this fast anymore. And all of a sudden we have three years of winter or what if, for example, the, the water stopped evaporating because, you know what, I just want to stay in the ocean. I'm tired of being lifted up and thrown into the mountains and rushing right back down to the sea. 
Or let's just say, for example, that your heart decided to go, you know what, I've been beating for stinking ever. I'm taking a few minutes off. Just a few minutes, that's all I ask. And then I promise to kick back up again. Or my immune system, you know? It's like, you know what? I keep fighting and fighting and fighting, and it seems like your body is just kind of soaking up germs like a sponge. I'm done. I'm so glad it doesn't. And I know that you are glad it doesn't. But what we see is that God's faithfulness is on display by his creation. God's faithfulness is much like the North Star that never changes. Everything else changes in the sky. Everything else moves in the sky, but the north star is constant. It is our consistent point of reference. We also see that God reveals his faithfulness through his promises. For example, we see in Genesis chapter 12, he prom- God promised Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation through you, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Or Jesus made this promise in Matthew 16 that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And yet we see to this day that God is continually fulfilling that which he promised. We see that God reveals his faithfulness through his character. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not a human, so he does not change his mind. Has Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? No. In fact, I love the vision that we get in Revelation chapter 19 when the Apostle John writes and describes Jesus coming in on this white horse and we see that the writer's name is Faithful and True. He doesn't even call him Jesus. He calls him Faithful and True. We see that God's faithfulness is revealed through his word, especially as he keeps his covenants, as he fulfills his promises, as he fulfills his predictions. Now up to this point, you and I have laid a careful and necessary foundation. We've laid a biblical foundation as to God's faithfulness. But I want to make it, take it one step further. I want to make it a little more personable. Because you see, we can understand God's faithfulness almost in an abstract sort of way. And it almost seems absent of us. It's not as intimate or personable. But I believe God's faithfulness is probably most fully understood when you understand how he's faithful to you. Specifically, God shows his faithfulness in the way that he shapes you. God shows his faithfulness in the way that he shapes you, specifically when you are weak. God is faithful even in your weakness. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's grappling back and forth with God and He's asking God, God, will you, will you take this thorn in the flesh? And of course, there's many different ideas as to what that thorn in the flesh might be. Paul doesn't elaborate. There's a lot of conjecture given. There's a lot of ideas presented. No one really actually knows. We do know this, that Paul is, it's always something that bothers Paul. It's always something that actually plagues him perpetually. 
It's something that he doesn't like and really, you know, he's able to endure a lot of things heartily as to the Lord, but this is something that he really desires that God would take away, yet this is God's response to him. My grace is sufficient for you. God, would you take this away three times, he asked. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Probably not what you want to initially hear. But why does God say that? Because he says, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul is able to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That phrase that Paul says, I am content, literally means I will delight in. Contentment sometimes has this connotation that, okay, I'm willing to accept it even though I really don't want to. But actually it means I will delight in. Not just accepting our weakness, but rejoicing in our weakness. Why? How in the world can someone have this kind of perspective on one's weakness? Because as God says, it is in our weakness that God manifests his power in you. In other words, it's in your weakness that you were able to see and experience and display the power of God. Do any of you feel weak right now? Do you feel weak in some way? Have you been struggling for a long period of time? Wishing for an end? Wishing to move on? Praying that God would take that thorn in the flesh away? You know, as Christians even, but as all people, because we have a fallen nature, it's so easy in our weakness to run to things that we might determine as seemingly better alternatives, but cheap substitutes. You see, in our weakness, what we desire so desperately is to, to drown out the noise of that weakness, to numb the pain of that weakness with other things. And you all know what it is for you. But perhaps in your weakness, your greatest response is a very simple prayer that says, God, help. I think one of the most profound prayers that you can ever say, and say it again, is God, help. It says it all. You don't need to articulate, God already knows. 
It's a cry of desperation. It's a cry that says, God, I'm tired. I'm weak. I can't go on. And then it's in that moment that you get to experience the faithfulness of God. Remember, God's power is perfected and is displayed through weakness. And it is through weakness that you learn to consistently depend on God. I love the testimony of Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know who she is. If you don't, at a, young, at a teenage age, she um, thought she was jumping in a much deeper body of water than, she, than it was, and uh, she broke her neck, and one second she was alive and living a full life as a teenager, and the next second she's a quadriplegic. And needless to say, in the days and weeks and months following, she became very discouraged, and even though she started kind of healing in a sense. She never regained any kind of sensation or feeling and so she could never, no longer, she was bound to a chair. And she was suicidal. There were moments where if she had the ability to commit suicide, she probably would have. Yet she couldn't move anything, so she's kind of stuck, which is probably even more painful. But if you fast forward to today, you see that God's power is on display through a very weak vessel. A vessel that has no use of her arms or legs, but a vessel who God uses for the glory of his name. I don't know if you've ever seen her paintings, but she paints with her mouth, and she's quite good. And she speaks all over the world, but what I love about more about Johnny's testimony is this. It's not that, wow, she's just a superwoman and she's unlike me in all ways. I'm not like her, so we can't relate. No. This is her daily sacrifice and challenge that she relates to us. She says, you think after 30 or 40 years it would get easier. But every morning I wake up and someone has to put makeup on me, has to bathe me, has someone, someone has to put clothes on me and I just want to be discouraged and want to have a pity party and want to say, God, why me? You know, and all the rest. And then I realize that power is perfected in weakness. So I say, oh God, if you would give me just grace for today to walk with you. And I do that every single day and it doesn't get any easier and I thank God that there is heaven and I will walk one day and I will play one day but until that day comes I'm going to ask him to take my weakness and to cause his power to be displayed. Perhaps the next action in your life is to stop fighting or controlling or seeking to overcome something that you are powerless to control. But perhaps it is your your next course of action is this, God help. And God use this for the glory of your name. Because when you are weak, then he is strong. When, he, when you are weak, then you are strong. 
God is faithful in your weakness. Even more amazing, too, that God is faithful in our temptation. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to every man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, even when you are tempted, God is faithful to provide an opportunity, a way to say no. In other words, there is no temptation that you are faced with in this life that you are not able to overcome, not by yourself, but by the grace of God in your life, in your dependence on God. You know how common it is, and I I hear this mantra more and more lately, I don't know why lately, but it There is this idea or this concept, and I know I've said it myself, so I relate to it, but you feel like you are the only person. I'm the only one going through this right now. Can I just say to you, whatever you are troubled with, whatever you feel weak in right now, whatever you feel overwhelmed in temptation with right now, you are not alone. In fact, there are a number of people right now going through the exact same thing you are. That's why the church is really a hospital. We all got issues that God, in his faithfulness, is seeking to refine and to restore and to renew. None of us have arrived. However, sometimes we feel unnecessarily guilty because we feel tempted all the time. But it's important to understand that there's a difference between sin and temptation. Temptation is really uh, 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 when a person is lured or enticed by one's desire, even though that, that thing that is alluring is prohibited. In other words, you, are actually, you actually like something that you know you should not do. That's what a temptation is. It wouldn't be a temptation if you didn't like it. I am not tempted by red beets. You could put it out in front of me, and I'll gladly run away. But you put a nice morsel of dark chocolate, and you know, with peanut butter on it especially, ooh. anything with peanut butter and chocolate is delicious. Temptation is really being enticed by something that is prohibited. But it is not sin in and of itself. Sin, on the other hand, is acting on or giving in to that temptation. And what's amazing about God's grace and his love for us is this. What's amazing about his faithfulness to us continually is this, that even in our temptation, even in our weakness, even when we sin, knowingly doing something or acting on something you know to be wrong, even in that moment, God remains faithful to you. You see, when we, if we do not understand God's faithfulness to us, then guess what? You will not come quickly to confess your sin. If you don't understand that God is faithful, then you will not come boldly before the throne of grace to find help and to find mercy in time of need, as Hebrews says. If you don't understand that God is always faithful and he is always loving then you will shy away in shame. You will cower in shame and all the while he's going, I love you. 
even in your sin. Do you understand this is what the gospel is? That in our sin, in our rebellion, in our outright deserving of eternal punishment and damnation and separation from God, that is the condition by which God pursued us in love. So even when you continually sin now, even though the the accuser says, you're done, he's done with you, I'm done with you, God says, no, I'm not. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's why I love, especially Romans 8, that, that whole chapter, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Perhaps some of you in this room right now, in fact all of us, are susceptible to besetting sins. Perhaps some of you right now have been enduring a long journey of struggle. Tempted, yes. Failing all the time. And wondering, does God still love me? Will God still be there for me? Will God not give up on me? May I say to you, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, it is in the act of confession that you, not, that you do not regain God's love and affection for you. It is in the act of confession that you once again realize his love and affection that has never left you. Confession opens your eyes to what's already been right in front of you, to what God already freely offers you. And even when we utterly fail, fail over and over and over and over again, yet even in then God remains faithful. Second Timothy 2, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. The fact is, Everyone and everything in life may or will eventually fail you. But God never will. He cannot. Because it's who he is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness.